Welcome to Mindful Moments of Mars, an audio experience that uses the writings of Edgar Rice Burroughs to explore mindfulness. I say that a lot. I say this is not an experience that uses the explore mindfulness. But here's the word I'm going to focus on today, explore. You know, explore, like really get into it. Because mindfulness, you can just take a little... You can just dip your toe in and you'd be like, what have I got to do? Breathe and and sit around, not do a lot. That's not exploring. That's that's like flying overhead in a plane, looking down at it. Exploring, you got to get down into the jungle. You got to have a machete. You got to chop the vines out of the way. What is a vine? Is it like, is it like the stem of a plant? Is it some other type of... What, why are there vines in the jungle? Do monkeys hang on them and swing from one to the other? These are the things you can learn when you explore. But let's not get caught up with vines because they are just part of the metaphor. The thing we're exploring is mindfulness. And how do we explore... What is the most efficient, focused, very like laser-focused way to look at mindfulness and think about mindfulness. It's through the writings of Edgar Rice Burroughs. So we're currently reading The Chess Men of Mars. Let's see what mindfulness tidbits we uncover today. Uh, I have to go back. Oh, God, these sentences are so long. So (laughs) this is Tara thinking about Turan who is a simple pan fan that she has encountered, but who is actually the Jeddak Vithal. Now, if these words don't mean anything to you, then lean into that. Lean into that sense of not, not having that ground beneath you, not knowing exactly what's happening. Explore that. You know, feel that. Move your body. Do a little dance. Wear a new hat. Where did the hat come from? Did I just conjure a hat and make it appear on your head through magic? If I did, that wasn't my intent. But if that's what happened, I'm as surprised as you are. Probably, well, I'm probably less surprised because I still don't believe that it happened. But you're the one with the hat on. So you have less doubt than me about it. Let's read the story. She was not accustomed to being either commanded or ignored. But with all her royal pride, she was no fool. And she knew the man was right, that he was risking his life to save hers. So she hastened on with Gek as she was bid, and after the first flush of anger she smiled, for the realisation came to her that this fellow was but a rough, untutored warrior, skilled not in the finer usages of cultured courts. His heart was right, though, a brave and loyal heart, and gladly she forgave him the offence of his tone and manner. But what a tone! Recollection of it gave her sudden pause. Panthans were rough and ready men, Often they rose to positions of high command, so it was not the note of authority in the fellow's voice that seemed remarkable, but something else, a quality that was indefinable, yet as distinct as it was familiar. She had heard it before, when the voice of her great-grandsire, Tardos Moors, Jeddak of Helium, had risen in command, and in the voice of her grandfather, Moors Kajak, the Jed and in the ringing tones of her illustrious sire, John Carter, warlord of Mars, when he addressed his warriors. I'm going to continue with the story, but I do want to just 
just zip through the family tree one, one more time. We've got Tara, her father, John Carter, his father-in-law, Moore's Kajak, and then his father, Tardos Moore's. Those are great names. Let's keep going. But now she had no time to speculate upon so trivial a thing, for behind her came the sudden clash of arms, and she knew that Turan, the Panthan, had crossed swords with the first of their pursuers. As she glanced back, he was still visible beyond a turn in the stairway, so that she could see the quick sword play that ensued. Daughter of a world's greatest swordsman, she knew well the finest points of the art. She saw the clumsy attack of the Caldene and the quick, sure return of the Panthan. As she looked down from above upon his almost naked body, trapped only in the simplest of unadorned harness, and saw the play of the lithe muscle. Oh, wow. Okay, let's... <laughs> it's, all, it's all getting a bit getting a bit steamy. As she looked down from above upon his almost naked body, trapped only in the simplest of unadorned harness and saw the play of lithe muscles beneath the red bronze skin and witnessed the quick and delicate play of his sword point so her sense of obligation was added a spontaneous admission of admiration that was but the natural tribute of a woman to skill and bravery and perchance some trifle to manly symmetry and strength whoo I do declare, in the words of, uh, I don't know, Southern Bells fanning themselves with their fans, that was all a bit steamy. And um, what, does that, what does that teach us about mindfulness? The idea of watching a man. <laughs> how, can we, how can we learn about mindfulness from the idea of watching a man who's almost naked getting into a fight? And knowing that this, the only reason he's in this fight is so that you, the viewer, can run away and uh, to safety. But you decide to just watch for a while because it's so steamy. Um, what does that teach us about mindfulness? It teaches us that we inhabit our bodies. And sometimes our bodies have reactions to things which our minds do not consciously choose. And we listen to our bodies. We attend to the sensations that we experience, the reactions to stimuli. We are mindful of what's happening in the, in the system of mind and body and spirit and steamy, uh, lithe muscles. You know, it's all part of the universe. And we are in the universe. The universe is in us. It's all like Neapolitan ice cream. You know, you've got the three different flavors. And at the boundary between each flavor, you have two flavors. You know, I'm sure if, if Neapolitan ice cream had existed in the past the great thinkers of humanity would have would have um used used neapolitan ice cream to to convey a complex idea about 
about mindfulness and the mind and, and the nature of existence and the human condition. But it, it's a relatively recent invention. And I just thought this instant that maybe it could be used in some way as a teaching mechanism. I don't have all the answers here. I just know that it's it's there waiting for some great uh, thinker, some great teacher uh, from some kind of wisdom tradition to to say, oh, Neapolitan ice cream, see the way there's three different flavors, you know, and then, and then put it all together and it'll make sense. I'm not doing that, just to be clear. I'm not using this right now to explain it. I'm just saying that maybe someone, uh, almost certainly someone will do that at some point in the future. Presuming that in the future we have both people who are trying to teach important lessons and Neapolitan ice cream. Maybe one of those things will go away. Maybe it'll be like Mad Max and everyone will just be trying to get petrol. <laughs> you know, and no one's trying to teach anyone any any important lessons. Or maybe uh, there will be people teaching important lessons, but we'll be more focused on pistachio ice cream or mango ice cream or plain chocolate. I, not, I mean, uh, chocolate isn't plain chocolate. I mean, I chocolate's nice. I like chocolate. It's usually my go-to thing. I have to choose a sweet thing. But, you know, so maybe maybe we're at the, the peak moment in human history where we have all the components we need to learn this lesson from this ice cream, but no one's just put put one and one and one together, the ones each being flavors of ice cream, to work out how they explain this thing. Let's take a breath.